There are two moons tonight. The round, white, shining disk, brittle and sharp-edged as glass, stares down at its reflection, lying on its back in the black water of the lake. Nothing stirs. No whisper of wind ruffles the surface. At the lake's edge, the wild cherry tree leans like an elegant ghost, its delicate bare branches silver with ice, yearning towards the past warmth of summer days. Tall stands of dogwood, their bright ones of colour blotted into monochrome by the cold, brilliant light, guard the northern shore of the lake and cast spiked shadows across the frosty grass. She stands in the warm room, staring down at the frozen, wintry scene, and all the while her fingers fret around the edges of the postcard thrust deep into the pocket of her quilted gilet, just as her mind frets around the meaning of the words scrawled on the back of a reproduction of Toulouse-Lautrec's La Chaine Simpson. A blast from the past. How are you doing? Perhaps I should pay a visit and find out. It is addressed to her and her brother, Edmund and Wilhelmina St. Enadoc, and signed simply with one word, Triss. She fingers the card, breaking its corner, from a room below drift a few notes of music, the lyrical poignancy of the trumpet, Miles Davis playing It Never Entered My Mind. It is one of Ed's favourite CDs. Instinct made her hide the postcard earlier, shuffling it beneath yesterday's newspaper as Ed came into the kitchen to see what the postman had brought. She made some light-hearted remark, passing him the handful of envelopes and catalogues, whilst the writing on the postcard burned on her inner eye. Perhaps I should pay a visit to find out. Triss. Later she slid it into her pocket to examine it in the privacy of her own room. The postmark is Paris, dated three days ago. By now he might be in the country, driving west. How could he know, after more than fifty years, that she and Ed would still be here together? Fifty years. Triss the tick, Triss the toad, tell-tale Triss. Ed, at twelve, has a whole collection of private names for their new stepbrother. We'll have to watch out for him, Bella. Try to be nice to Tristan, darling, her mother's voice. I know it's hard for you and Ed, but I do so want you all to get on together. For my sake, will you try? Fifty years. She takes the card out of her pocket and stares at it. Bella, Ed's voice, are you coming down? Supper's ready. Coming, she calls. Shan't be a sec. She glances round, picks up a book from the small revolving table, her mother's little walnut table, and slips the postcard inside. Drawing the curtains together, closing out the two moons and the lake, Bella goes downstairs to Ed. He stoops over the supper he's prepared, checking the sauce. The jointed chicken legs have been marinated overnight in oregano and garlicky red wine vinegar, then cooked in white wine, and he looks approvingly at the result, now on a dish, with its sprinkling of olives and capers and prunes. It smells delicious. His cooking is capricious, extravagant, and occasionally disastrous, but he likes to pull his weight. Tall and wide-shouldered in his navy Aaron jersey, unravelling at the cuffs and patched at the elbows, 
his thick thatch of badger-streaked hair falling forward as he bends to take the plates out of the bottom oven of the arger. He looks like an amiable bear. Ed's approach to life is simple, unhurried. He hates farce or extravagant emotion, and believes himself to be inadequate in fulfilling people's expectations of him. The women who are drawn to his innate kindness, his gentleness, grow irritated by his inability to commit. He went straight to a major publishing house from university and stayed there until his early retirement, but always weekending here at Melon Ponds. He cherished his authors. Naturalists, travellers, gardeners enjoyed launch parties and lunches, but in his middle fifties...